today and next week I'll be preaching and the word that the Lord has got me speaking on is preparation for the last days. And if you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 78, here's a passage of scripture that I believe prophetically the Lord has get, gave me about this last time. Now you remember at the, at the 1st of January, the Lord gave me the word for this year is the word preparation. And, uh, and really, literally, you just, the thing is, is just to really just engross ourselves into the Lord and wrap ourselves within him. That is the major way of preparation. But there is another facet of preparation that we've got to be aware of. In Psalm 78, God gave me this passage of Scripture prophetically, and it's about talking about Israel. But in it, he's speaking to us. And this whole thing is about God's guidance of his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. Now consider that unfaithfulness, and we'll get into here in a few minutes, because we do not want to be in that place. And you'll see how this ties in a little later on unfaithfulness. And I'll start in verse 2. He says, I'll open my mouth in a parable and I'll utter great sayings of old which we have heard and known. Our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell them to the, tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come may, might know even the children yet to be born, that which is awesome to speak of, that they may arise and tell them to their children, what tell, tell them what? That they should put their confidence in their God, not forget His works and com keep, keep His commandments. And here's the opposite. Here's the unfaithfulness part. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart. Now here, that's very important. A generation that did not prepare its heart. As a result of not preparing their heart, notice this next statement, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Here's a, part, here's a very important thing. They did not prepare their heart. As a result, they, their spirit was not faithful faithful to God. And now watch this next statement. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. Yeah, as uh, I look at the American church, we, we have so much word spoken into us. We have so many resources that the world just gleans from. I mean, you can't, it's hard to go overseas. I don't care whether, you know, the places I've been, all the way up into, into Europe or the Middle East, the Balkans, and and uh, even in, in, like in Cuba, when I was there in the early 90s, that or, or you go to, the, to the Asia when I was in the Philippines, and I'm sure it's true in Africa, that the influence that this nation has had, the resources, the songs, the preaching, and it's just amazing. And we're equipped. But my question is, we're equipped like these archers. The question is, Will we turn back in the day of battle? We've got to be a people that are faithful to God, that our hearts are prepared and our spirit is faithful to God. Our, our heart contains the programming of how our spirit functions. And so that's what we want to deal with. And that's what one of the things that God has put on my heart is for us to be prepared. 
I don't want, God has put on my heart that we not be caught guard on the things that are going on in the world. Now, I'm not saying, going to sit here and tell you that Jesus is coming next week. In fact, I've heard people talking about it. it's supposed to be coming in May or something in 2012 or something like that. I don't know. But I will tell you this. Something's stirring. Something's stirring. I mean, you hear the cries of the people in the Middle East. Cries for freedom out from under the bondages of Islam. It's similar. It's even greater to me than the cries for freedom that were in, a, in my generation when bondages were broken from communism. But, so it's a very big stirring. And the question is, is how are we going to respond? What's going to respond? Now, you, you can see from the title, and I don't have PowerPoint because I really feel like we're supposed to really just get this from the Word because we're going to talk about spiritual warfare in relationship to the last days. Now, there's some foundations that I want to speak, and that's what this passage of Scripture that we just read is a prophetic word about spiritual warfare. Preparation of our hearts, our spirit, as a result, is faithful to God. When we get in the day of battle, we'll fight. Now, I want to remind you about fighting. In Ephesians 6, 6, really the form of fighting is stand firm. Stand. Resist the devil. Stand up against. We don't bow back. We don't shrink back. It's not this attack like where we're, even though the destiny of the church of God is to storm the gates of Hades. The gates of Hades cannot stand up against the church. But there is that facet. But the main call of God is for us to resist. Now, I want to call our attention to Ephesians 6.12, which you're real familiar with. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, this is how it breaks down. Rulers... RK, and authority. Some versions translate it powers, but it's the word uh, exousia for authorities. So against rulers and authorities, that tells you what they do. There are rulers and there are authorities. The next phrase tells you where they operate. The world forces of wickedness, no, world forces of this darkness, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. That tells you where they operate. World forces and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. You have two things, rulers and authorities. Where do they operate? World forces, where? And in the heavenlies. And it's very crucial for us to understand this and how these two, and I've taught on the courtroom of heaven in here and the justice of God, the foundations of God's throne are justice and righteousness. And what you will see in Scripture, that how the events that transpire in the courtroom of heaven will, will have an effect here on earth, like Job chapter 1, where Satan comes and literally is bringing accusations against Job. It's not God just randomly turning him over to it. I'm not going to go on that this morning. But it has a very awesome book, complex book. Do not read it from the surface. You'll get confused. God, it looks like God just randomly turns Job over to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? It doesn't say that in the Greek, in the Hebrew. It literally says, God's speaking to Job, I mean to Satan. He says, have you set your heart on my servant Job? Because why? Right before that, God had said, where have you come from? And, Job, and Satan says, oh, from roaming around on the earth. Well, put that to Job, uh, First Peter. Satan is a roaring lion, roaming lion. What? Roaming around, seeking someone to devour. Guess what? He had set his sights on Job. And in the courtroom of heaven, things had been brought up there were his sons, Job's sons and daughters, who had been, quote, partying together. And there the enemy 
gain legal rights to bring destruction to Job's family. Here, this is sons and his sons and daughters were out from Job's house. They were talking about in their house, not Job's house, the son's house. They've had authority in that situation, not Job. And so their destruction comes. But it occurred in the courtroom of heaven, and as a result, destruction occurred on the earth. I gave you another couple of examples in in Judges chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, where you see the men of Shechem, where they entertain on earth some unrighteous acts and and teaming up. I forget what the dude's name. My mind's blank right now in this. But where these men of Shechem conspired to allow, I think it's Jerubbabel. Is that who it was? I can't remember. My mind's gone blank here. But where they lied and deceived and allowed these men to be killed. And their God, in the courtroom, having this action occurred on the earth, then it comes back up in the heavens, this accusations, and there these, their God makes a judicial decree that it was righteous and just to loose a demonic spirit between the men of Shechem and the ruler, and therefore it caused destruction back on the earth. And we'll see this spiritual warfare occurring in the heavenlies and world forces. That's what I said. Rulers, authorities, that's what they do. Where? World forces, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Now, what's that got to do about this thing? Well, y'all, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. In order that Satan may not take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Can y'all say that with me? I want us all to say that, please. In order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Well, if you're ignorant of his schemes, guess what? He will be able to do what? Take advantage of you. Now, y'all, as I've been praying and and uh, asking the Lord much about what is transpiring in the world today, because, uh, you know, there's sort of a selfish thing going on. One is I want to know what's going on because I travel in little different places of it, and, uh, and I want to know what's going on. And the Lord began to point out to me that there are four demonic spirits that have that are at work in the world today. Now, these spirits are uh, are common, and they have been at work, and you will see facets of it. But they are at a heightened state right now. And what we have to do is we have to prepare our hearts of not being ignorant to the schemes of the devil. And these four demonic spirits. And if you would, turn me to 1 John chapter 2. And the first spirit that is is at major league at work right now is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, when we start talking about the spirit of Antichrist, we're talking big. But, you know, you'll see some things here. But I'm not trying to speak that the Antichrist quote is being revealed and all that kind of stuff. But notice this in 2.18. John's writing, and he said, uh, Children, it is the last hour, just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many I in Christ have risen. From this we know that it is the last hour. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. 
And it says, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ, confess that Jesus is not from God, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming in the world, is now already in the world. Because so the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world. He's been present. But one of the things that you'll see in that First John 2 passage, and John was believing they were in the last days, but he's just talking about, he tells us that, we see it, whoops, First John 2, I already lost it. 2.18, even now many antichrists have arisen from this we know, this is the last hour. This we know, this is the last hour. Now, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work, but he's at work. And what I was doing, I was asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what is the scheme of the spirit of Antichrist? What is the main scheme? And if you would, go with me to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. And this is what the Lord showed me, was the main scheme of the spirit of Antichrist is right now. And y'all, and as we listen to this, as we read this, you will see that uh, how, how relevant it is for our generation and for America. Now, this whole thing is about, in chapter 7, is a vision that Daniel has about the last days. And in it is this whole thing about the Antichrist, the, this little horn that utters great boast. You see in verse 21, I kept looking. The horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering in them until the ancient of days and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And time arrives when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now I want to skip over to 25. <laughs> Start 24. As for the ten horns out, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, another will arise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High. He will speak out against the Most High. One of the characteristics of the spirit of Antichrist is, is accusations against God. Now, y'all, this is crucial. Because if you'll look in the world today, this is one of the major things that's going on. Accusations against God. And literally twistings. In fact, to be honest with you, the church of Jesus Christ is one of the major ones. And I'll tell you a few minutes here how we, how we do these accusations. And, and it's, notice this other scheme of the devil. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. <laughs> wear down the saints. Now, y'all, I think it hit me about this. I just had to take... Uh, period of time off because guess what I was what wore down man if there's one thread that goes through the American church today what or what wore out guess what that is that is the spirit of antichrist at work and we need to be aware about of it and, uh, and some of the things that God has told me on the opposite side you may think is notice these, some of these accusations. Let's deal with, first off, the accusations against God. There's some, some, you remember I was telling you about in Psalm 78. Let me just read you some of these. 
that the Lord was just pointing out to me in Psalm 78, verse 19. See, what happens is when we get in hard times, and that's what Satan's trying to do, is make things get very difficult. And then in the midst of adversity, guess what? All of a sudden, accusations will rise up against God, like Japan. All of a sudden, guess what? They'll say, what? God did this. God's punishing Japan. Y'all, that is what? That is an accusation against who? God. That's what Satan will do. He'll bring death and destruction. Now, y'all, I can show you in Job 2, in Job 1, how natural disasters can be demonically uh, empowered. So just because a natural disaster occurs, we put on it the title in insurance policies, an act of God. What are we doing? We're trying to accuse God of bringing death and destruction. But even though, and in these hard times, and when children of Israel got, a, got, got in, a, in a wilderness, notice this. Um, get this. It says, uh, verse 19. Then they spoke against God. Okay, children of Israel in the wilderness, they spoke against God. They accused God. What? How? Can God prepare a table for us in the wilderness? Can God prepare a table for us? Can God take care of my needs? I, you know, I would interesting to me, how many of y'all, I, could, I don't want you to do this, but how many of you have entertained the thought, does God care? Can God take care of my needs? And I bet you anything, the vast majority of us in this room would raise our hands. Guess what? That is giving way to the spirit of Antichrist. Accusing God. Let's go on. Look at some of these other accusations in Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to just go through these real quick. In 16, verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Yeah, guess what? There reveals an accusation. God wants to do what? He wants to kill us. But no, they don't know that the Lord, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But God, Jesus says what? I come to give life. And not only that, to give it abundantly. But guess what? He says, we would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when he had set by the pots of meat when we ate bread for the full, for you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's an accusation against God. I mean, think about how we would have said it. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, another accusation against God that gets used and gets um, children of Israel. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires and sons of Israel wept. Says, who will give us our meat to eat? <laughs> how about that one? Who's going to take care of me? How am, I, how am I going to have needs met of love? Uh, who's my security? <laughs> Last night, it was, it was really cool. We were doing that song on, on uh, God's presence. Yesterday, I flew up from Florida, and uh, it just so happened as I was just checking the weather and up here before I was leaving down there, and, and all of a sudden. You go into airports in Delta, checking the weather, and you see you know, the, the weather radar will pop up, and you see this line of storms right across Atlanta. And you see these little red boxes. And I'm going, oh, boy, that's going to be fun. Flying into, in and around tornado watches. 
in the south. I'm going, oh, this is really cool. I, I, admit, I didn't say that, but I'm just going. But then I just go, we get up there and get into it. And I'm going, all right, Lord, this is an opportunity. The name of the Lord is a what? Strong tower, and the righteous run into it or safe. And so I just really just checked out into the, he- into the heavenlies and, uh, and just, just bask in God's loving kindness as the plane was bouncing all over the place. And then we left out of there to come here, flying through the whole stuff, going, coming to here. And the same thing in God's presence was there. What we're saying here, who will give us? Who will take care of us? When we start entertaining those thoughts, y'all, those are accusations against God. And that's what I just really want to ask that we consider that. Let me just read one more in in, uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 3. The people contended with Moses and spoke, If only we had perished along with our brothers, perished before the Lord. In other words, entertaining thoughts that God just wants to kill us. Um, I, you know, I came, came close to really preaching on uh, on grace and mercy of God and, and the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus in response to the law of Moses. I was sitting there next to a, a, young, a young lady going up from Palm Beach to Atlanta yesterday, and she was a, she was a, a believer and going to a, a spirit-filled church, and and she talked about how that when she went to a worship, big worship conference and, and they're talking about, she's going, oh, it was really awesome. And all we did, we kept, you know, in God's presence, we just kept hearing, you know, how, how we don't do enough and, and uh, you know, we need to do more and all this kind of stuff. And all, it was so good. And I'm going, uh, I think you're hearing the wrong spirit, wrong law. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a law that does not point us out back where we lack. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a law of faith and a law of love. It's a law that convicts you of righteousness, not what's wrong. When you catch revelation of that which is righteous, you will, re- you will know what is wrong. Like in Isaiah 6, God is holy. Isaiah goes, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. Who told him he was a man of unclean lips? Yeah, he just caught what's right. And then what's right reveals what's wrong. What's lack, yeah. God's in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, not about to beat you down, but to build you up in your most holy faith. And when I heard that, I'm going, yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think we in the, in the church today are guilty of proclaiming the law of Moses on a continual basis. Law is good if one uses it lawfully. Law is good to protect. Law is good to teach the law of Moses or the little law. But it's not that which is given to impart life. What it will do, law is, law is a reminder of sin, Hebrews chapter 10. Law is a ministry of death. Law is a ministry of condemnation, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Reminder of sin to condemn. You know, I've learned that when I'm in a counseling situation, if I hear words like this, we ought to do, you ought to do, that I'm missing it. When I start using words like that, it'll bring condemnation. It'll bring an accusation. And God has been speaking and training us that our words that are proclaimed faith, 
to empower somebody to be faithful to God, to believe God. Now, I'm not saying, talking about entertaining sin, y'all. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a second. And I'm sorry I'm delaying this, but this spirit of Antichrist is great. And the main weapon of it is to accuse God, to allow circumstances to be twisted to we accuse God. And here's the question that God asks for us. Have we been entertaining the spirit of Antichrist by entertaining accusation against God? And how do we entertain accusations against God? Doubting his character and his nature. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Given into weariness. Look at this passage in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. Now, y'all, there is now there is a place of using wisdom and discernment. Jesus himself went away to rest. And there's things that we do that are not of God that we speak. The Lord, he said, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my yoke burden is what? Light. Come and I will give rest to your souls. So it tells us maybe sometime there's things that we're bearing that are not. But I do know this in Isaiah chapter 40. Those who wait on the Lord, they will, what? Renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. And that's one way I can tell. You, you know, I'll say this. That's why I can tell that when I minister, what I have put my hand to, that it wears me out. You know, this last time where I had to just take a break, it was not ministry that wore me out. You know what it was? It was business. It was business. Entangled in something that I'm in a process of trying to get out of. At one time, I had over seven major business deals going on at one time in November, October, November, December, and January. Seven major business deals. And these seven major business deals were a yoke to my soul. And I'm trying to focus on what's important and deal Jesus, but I couldn't. There's finally too many of those. You know how it is when you got a business deal. Your, your mind's thinking, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? But when you have seven major ones at one time, there's too many details. My mind just boop, shh, shut down. And so it wore me out. But so when I'm taking your Lord joke, guess what? Learn and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. And look at this in 7 and 12.5. If you run with the footman and they tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of Jordan? Oh, if things, if we run with the footman and they tire us out, how are we going to do it with the horsemen? Y'all, and we're called to run with the horsemen. We're called to overcome the horsemen. If we fall down in the land of peace when everything is okay, how are we going to do in the thicket of Jordan? Now, y'all, because this whole thing's talking about in the last days, are we going to be faithful and are we going to fight? Are we going to stand? That is the whole thing it's about. And y'all, so when we start, oh, here's, here it is on the other side. If we, we start entertaining thoughts, oh, I can't do this. I got too much. Guess what? That is, I'm going to say, here's balance. There's balance on what I'm going to say here. There's balance, please. But here on this side is what God's saying. When I start entertaining, oh, I can't do this. It's too much for me. That is of the spirit of Antichrist. Because it's try, you're giving into it to wear us out. But I, here's the thing I believe God is calling us 
is what I just quoted to us, Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord. And y'all, the Hebrew word there for wait is not like sitting down and being still. The Hebrew word there for wait is the word that is used to make rope, to bind together by twisting. In other words, when you bind yourself to the Lord, you just entangle yourself up with the Lord. You wait on the Lord, you will renew your strength. Because the whole thing is, is what Satan wants to do. Accuse God before us, and you know what we'll do? We won't trust him. You won't come to him, because guess what? In the presence of the Lord is what? Fullness of the Lord, fullness of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Or Psalm thirty-three, twenty-one. My heart rejoices in him because I trust in his holy name. Y'all, if I don't trust him, I don't have joy. If I don't have joy, I don't have what? Strength. I will be wore out. The spirit of Antichrist. Now, y'all, we're not talking. um, We are not talking little here. And what we're not going to do is start rebuking it. What we are going to do is an invitation to repent. One, have we entertained accusations against God? Two, have we given in to weariness? And y'all, there's a declaration like, like you see there. Declarations. Greater is he that is what? Is in me than he that is in the world. Y'all, that is right before 1 John 4, 3 where it talks us there's many antichrists have gone out into the world. This spirit of antichrist, guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is what? In the world. This spirit of antichrist the Jesus in us can overcome this thing. All we have to do is not entertain the accusations against him and give in to his scheme to wear us down. Romans 8.31 If God be what? For us. Who can be against us? Hebrews 13.5 and 6 What shall we say to these things? Nope, that's who God for us. He'll be against us. Hebrews 13.5 and 6 For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never what? Forsake you. I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a a man slash woman do to me? Right? Right? So y'all pray. I'll pray. Can I? This is family here, right? I'll just say this. Pray. It's one thing to preach it here, but it's another thing in places like Lebanon, in the midst of a time you know things are uncertain, to walk in it with confidence. What can a man, what, do to me? It's truth, right? So, that's a declaration. The second spirit that the Lord showed me as it worked within us is the spirit of Jezebel. Now, what's happening is there's an undermining against authority. And real quick, if you would go with me to, to, um, to 1 Kings chapter 19. But I'm going to read you a passage out of Revelations chapter 2 where it's talking about this messages to the church that Jesus is speaking. And he says this in, in Revelations 2.19. Y'all go to 1 Kings But it says, oops, 2.19. He said this. 
says, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance, that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But this I have against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she, she teaches and she leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Acts of immorality. This is a very real spirit. One time I was in a, a church that was down in Big Stone Gap. And uh, one thing you got to know about Big Stone Gap, it's a really awesome place. This is where my family's from. I love Big Stone Gap. But it's a place of intense warfare. It's a place that I've told you before that Walmart interviewed 100 people to fill positions and they did 100 drug tests. Five of the 95 passed the drug test. It is the high, one of the highest rates in the U.S. per capita of drug abuse. Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Prescription drug abuse. Interesting, crazy place. But one of the characteristics that's very strong there is the spirit of Jezebel. I mean, you can tell it. One of the kids, the number of men in their 20s who live at home with mama is high. Or right next door to mama is high. Massive. And we were there. We moved there. Um, the second time we went back, as soon as Mitch and Leah said, okay, we'll go with you there, all of a sudden Leah gets back gets a positive pap smear. We get down there. Paula's uh, female stuff went, woo, crazy. So intense was that in this little church, we had like three or four women who had to have hysterectomies during this short period of time we were there. The number of women who had came back with positive pap smears was just crazy. I mean, it was just, you know, the percentage was just way out of whack. I mean, just fact of the matter. I mean, I, I don't know if hardly, this is not, don't even raise your hands, please. But how many women in our church have had hysterectomies since we've been here? I mean, there's been a few, probably. But, you know, but in one short period of time, we had a whole bunch of them had hysterectomies and positive passengers and all kind of crazy stuff. And I was praying one, one day, and the Lord, I said, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord spoke to me this passage of Scripture. Get this. He says, I gave her time to repent. She does not want to. Behold, I cast upon her upon a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her, tribulation. And God spoke to me. The giving way to the tolerance of the spirit of Jezebel is opening the doorway of sickness in this church. And I'm going, y'all, I'm in a Southern Baptist church. Can you imagine preaching this and declaring this on a Sunday morning? But I mean, y'all, I mean, we're, it's affecting my wife. It's affecting me. It's affecting, I mean, but affecting people I love. And so we had to take action in this thing. And this is how serious this is. And, uh, and it's a major effect on us today. And this is where I want to just speak. Notice in 1 Kings 19, and what the spirit of Jezebel, even though it can't affect men, but it's the main, main thing is it's a female abuse of authority. And there's some things I just want to cause out about it is and why it's so deadly in 1 Kings 19 where we see Jezebel and some of the stuff that she did. In 1 Kings 19, you see after Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, kills 400 of them, all of a sudden, Jezebel, where is 1 Kings? 
she just makes one little statement. And watch this. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life and the life of one of them tomorrow about the same. He was afraid. What? Mighty man who just killed 400 prophets of Baal? Who called fire out of heaven to consume a sacrifice? Jezebel sends a messenger to him and he's afraid and he hides in a cave? Come on. It's a spiritual war. And what what the spirit of Jezebel seeks to do is intimidate and manipulate authority, particularly the prophetic voice. In Luke chapter 7, you see the spirit of Jezebel manifesting in Herodias. And all of a sudden, you know, John the Baptist, Herodias has John the Baptist, through her husband, has John the Baptist thrown in prison. And in the presence of this spirit, John the Baptist, who prophesied over Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of a sudden sends a messenger to Jesus. Um, uh, are you the one or do we look for another? Dude, what happens? Why the spirit of Jezebel is so powerful in the last days? It is to silence, to confuse, to dampen the prophetic voice. And that's what it'll do. The pastor, he will back him down. And uh, because what it does, if you'll notice in 1 Kings 21, notice this, what Jezebel does, the spirit of Jezebel does, creates an atmosphere of wimpy men. Ahab. And we don't have time to go into this because I could speak the whole sermon on this. But notice this, Ahab goes to Naboth and wants his vineyard. Now look at that, Ahab. Look at this. Ahab spoke to, to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have, have it for a vegetable garden because I close is close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me. I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Verse 4. Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed. <laughs> The movie Gladiator. I don't know if y'all saw that movie Gladiator. When the the Caesar, when Gladiator rose up, this reminded me of that. He's all frustrated because everybody's rising up and appreciating the Gladiator, uh, Russell Crowe. And he comes in and he goes, I'm vexed. And that's what makes me think of. But, but watch what Jezebel does. Look at over here. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Watch this, y'all. Watch this. Are you the king over Israel? He says, says, Arise, eat bread, let your heart be glad, and I'll give it to you. Wait a minute. Who's the king? Who's going to give it to you? Jezebel, you you just be cool. You, You just satisfy your flesh. I'll deal with it. And so what does Jezebel do? She starts manipulating the authority. Look at that next verse. She she said, she wrote letters in Ahab's name. See what he's trying to do. 
is make the wimpy man just sit down and give up his authority. And guess what? Jezebel will use the authority. She'll manipulate it. She'll get Naboth to give it. And what she does, she controls and she manipulates. Look at this in uh, in Second Kings, chapter. Wait a minute, First Kings twenty one twenty five. Look at this in twenty one twenty five. Before we go there, surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited, manipulated, used, controlled him. Y'all, one of the darkest times for Paul and I's life is was. Uh, when I was giving way to the spirit of Ahab, and she's giving in to the spirit of Jezebel. And one of the things is that I didn't have time to go into this detail, but one of the main forces of the spirit of Jezebel is that the wife will remind the husband of his past failures. And the husband will go, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I've done that. Yeah, yeah. I can't hear the voice of God. Paula would say, well, you moved us when we do, shouldn't have moved, and it's caused this. And I'm going, oh, yeah, okay. Jeez, I'm sorry. Instead of going, you know, God has forgiven me. There is grace. Where sin is, grace abounds all the more. And God has told us we believe that God will do this and go on. But when you start entertaining accusations of the past and what will happen is y'all ladies do not i say this do not give way to the reminding of past failures love takes into it does not take into account wrong suffering what that is is a manipulation and control paula would use manipulation of anger no, I, I'm, she was here she would speak this okay so because i'm over here being a a, a wimp and I remember when God started speaking to Paul and saying, God started speaking, God started speaking to me to rise up. And Paula made this statement. She said, I'm glad to have my husband back. Because we're both giving way to things that we don't know what's attacking us. The spirit was just surrounding our home. It doesn't mean we it was possessing us, but it was spirit was surrounding our home, and it's attacking us, and we're giving way to these these temptations of it, and that's what we're dealing with. Look at this in Second Kings, not chapter nine, verse twenty-two, where you see another facet of Jezebel, is seduction. Second Kings nine twenty-two. When Joram and saw Jehu, and he said, it is, it is peace, so long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are many. And her witchcraft, her controlling, her manipulation. Now, witchcraft does not have to be putting on spells. Witchcraft can be trying to control the manipula manipulation. I know that Paula was here. She would testify to you the times that she'd use anger to try to control or manipulate my response. Particularly if I used the M word. The M word was move. You know, because her heart. So what had happened was. So anyway, and looking at verse 30, watch this, when all of a sudden 
Jehu's going to come and kill her. When Jehu came to Jezreel and Jezebel heard of it, she painted her face and adorned her head and looked out the window. Painted her face. Painted her face. Adorned her head. Manipulation, sensuality. Manipulation and sensuality. Spirit of Jezebel. And it's a female abuse of authority. Now, I'm not saying what y'all, what I'm saying is you will see in, in the air, and it's not new, it's nothing new, but in the air, it's really, there's a spirit trying to give way and affect women and men on the area of Jezebel and Ahab. Now, y'all, ladies, don't go to the fear of Jezebel. There's therefore now no condemnation of Christ Jesus. But I will say to you this. When in doubt, repent. Just repent. I remember one time we're on our way from church. Shay was about eight. And during the service, all of a sudden, the Lord convicted Paul of controlling and manipulation. And, and the kids, we had a van, and Michelle and Shay are in the back. And Shay's about eight. Michelle's about four. And all of a sudden, Paula just looks over at me as we're driving after church. And she goes, Rick, I just really want to ask you to forgive me for being controlling, manipulating out of a sudden, out of a voice, out of an eight-year-old boy, or a nine-year-old, I can't remember. But all of a sudden, Shay goes, you sure have been. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> hey, y'all, I don't want to paint Paula as the bad one in this, because I'm going to say this. What gave way to it for her was my wimpiness. I created the atmosphere in my home by enter entertaining passivity and not taking, taking charge both physically and spiritually of the direction of our home. Not taking charge to dominate, not lording over, but to protect and create an atmosphere of security for Paula where she can function. Third spirit, the spirit of Absalom. Oh, this is the male abuse of authority. And if you would, real quick, I, I know I've labored a little bit here too long, but in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 14, we're dealing with Absalom. And where Absalom's whole goal was to get to authority. And what he did was he allowed the dysfunctionality, hear what I'm saying, of his relationship with his dad to open a doorway for him to divert authority from David to himself. And that's what it is. It's, a, it's an illegal use of authority. And in other words, notice in, in 2 Samuel 15, notice what, what, uh, what he starts to doing. Um, first off, I want to get this out of order. What, what a Absalom will do will use religious manipulation. Now, now notice what he says here in 32. Absalom gets brought back. Because you remember, he, he stands up for his sister Tamar where David blows it. Now, let me, uh, let me set something here. What sets up the spirit of Absalom, y'all, is the lack of involvement of fathers in sons and daughters. Because, get this, I mean, uh, I told y'all to go to 2 Samuel 15. Look at 2 Samuel 14, 28. Now, Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Two years, his son is in the 
in his palace, and guess what? He don't see the king. He don't have intimacy. Y'all, we can say a lot of things about David. He was a man after David's own heart. But David blew it in the area. One of the areas that he blew it was in the area of a dad. And that's one of the things that we're just big about is men stepping up and being dads and do not being absent from the home. But notice this thing in this same context in, in 32. Absalom went to Joab, answered and says, you know, uh, in the middle of the verse, why have I come from Geshur? Would it be better for me still to be here? Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. If there's iniquity in me, let me be put to death. That's manipulation, y'all. Watch this in 33. Then Joab came to the king and told the king for Absalom. Then, then he, thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face bef- to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So he comes in there, and he comes bowing before the king. Notice the very next verse, 15.1. And it came about after this that Al- Absalom provided for himself a chariot, horses, 50 men, and his runners before him, And Absalom used to rise early, stand by the way to the gate. And it happened when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call him and say to him, From what city are you? You're the servant of one tribe of Israel. Notice, then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no one listens to you. Out of the mouth comes out of the heart. No one listens to you. So what he's doing is, he's doing... Somebody comes in, oh, they got a gripe in the church. Uh, Ron's busy, Rick's busy. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. I, I got words for you. Divert authority. All of a sudden, the spirit, what it does is it'll divert authority. And the whole goal is, y'all know the story, our Absalom takes over. What does the spirit of Absalom do to authority? It causes authority to shrink back. In 2 Samuel 15, 13. All of a sudden, Absalom starts raising up where this man, David, would fight. Notice what David says to him in verse 14. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Rise, let us flee, or we're going to die. Wait a minute. Who this man saying this stuff? Look at this in 199. This is one of the things that said about him later, about David. This is Absalom's followers. All the people were quarreling throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies, saved us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he's fled from the hand, fled out of the land from Absalom. See, what will happen is, the spirit of Absalom, what will happen is the king or the son or the dad will entertain thoughts, Oh, yeah, I, have guess, I guess I am too busy. I guess I haven't been a good dad. And all of a sudden, the spirit of Absalom will rise up and back it down and go, Okay, yeah, I deserve it. I'll just flee. I won't fight. I won't fight. Yeah, I deserve this. In fact, it's interesting to me. In 2 Samuel 14, I mean 19.9. Get this in 19.9. Not that one, I'm sorry. In 14, uh, 28, I think it is. Sorry, y'all. Nope, I messed up. Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? 1530. Somewhere or something really powerful. David says, I would that it was Absalom. I think it was after Absalom died. I lost it, y'all. 
But David goes, I wish it was me. I'm the one that deserves it. Now, there's truth that he blew it. But y'all, a man of God or woman of God in faith does not shrink back in defeat. But our confidence is in the mercy and the grace of our God. God is, you know, we can come to the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Do you remember in Psalm 78 where it said, what do we pass on to the next generation? That our confidence is in our God. Well, what is the confidence in our God? That we can come to his throne of grace and receive what? Mercy and find grace. When? In time of need. 18 what? 1833? Is that when David does that? Yeah, the king was deeply moved and went up from his chamber over the gate and wept. And he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Now, I know that's true from a dad's heart. But y'all, Joab, notice what Joab has to rebuke David and go, you're the king here. This guy just tried to rise up and kill you and took over your kingdom. Stop wimping out and shrinking back into this place of ungodly grief a sorrow of the world the spirit of Absalom to divert male authority male authority males trying to grab authority illegally now y'all Minnie Coleman spoke to us about two or three years about three or four years ago now she talked one Sunday morning I don't know if y'all remember this she came in and she said watch out for the spirit of Absalom and we got hammered in it. And let's be honest with you, it began in the elders. Remember that whole thing that one time we dealt with? Some confusion in relationship to worship way, way back. One elder's dealing with one and one's dealing with the other and that was just crazy. And then you started seeing it working in the church. Ah, uh, they don't have time for you. There's a different place than going... You know, the body being equipped up and the body being ministered. But there's another place that where things get diverted to somebody out of accusation. Whole nother rabbit. Whole nother rabbit. So, fourth spirit that I see at work. Let's go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And 1 Timothy chapter 4. Y'all, I hear a lot about... People, it makes for good preaching a lot about, you know, in the last days there'll be this revival that will mark um, Jesus coming, the last days. But y'all, I'll be honest with you, I don't see it. I don't see it in Scripture. In fact, I see the opposite. Notice this in First Th- Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 3, I'm sorry. Let no one deceive you. For it will not come to pass, this is talking about the day of the Lord has come, unless apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above something. Guess what? Apostasy must come first. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says, in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Fall away from the faith. The Spirit explicitly says some will fall away from the faith. Y'all, the Spirit is a falling away from 
what? Can you help me here now? Don't get distracted. Fall away from what? Faith. Fall away from faith. Now, it does say the faith, but I honestly believe faith. Anything not of faith is what? Sin. Now, you remember? Remember the spirit of the Antichrist is trying to accuse God? The spirit of, of apostasy is that is trying to call us to shrink back from faith. And as a result, lawlessness will abound in Matthew chapter 24. Falling away from faith, and guess what, y'all? Compromise starts to pervade the church. You could read on. I don't have time right now. But y'all, it's amazing to me that in the church of Jesus Christ today, the things that we're entertaining, gay marriages, the church of Jesus Christ is entertaining, whether this is scriptural or not. Homosexuality just basically back down, you know. Y'all, some of the stuff that I've had to engage, I mean, I was when I was in overseas last time, I had to confront at one point in time on a Sunday morning. I don't know if y'all were here, but I called Tulio and I said, Y'all pray. I am getting attacked. Because what I had to do when I was over there, I had to stand up for righteousness. Now, I'm not anything special, but there was a thing of going on of unrighteousness, iniquity, where pastors are having affairs, pastors coming to a church, and he's going to preach in the church. Before he goes to the church, to preach in the church. He's out on the balcony smoking a joint. I'm going, what? And so I start making these stands, and so guess what? I get accused of all kinds of stuff. Oh, it's just don't ruffle feathers. No! Dude! But y'all, it's not just the pastors. It's in the church. Well, because what's in the church because a lot of us are compromising. It's a spirit of apostasy. To fall away from the faith, and when we fall away from the faith, we start entertaining all kind of sexual immorality and all kind of uh, compromise. Be interesting in here. I could ask, don't, please don't do it. How many men in here are entertaining pornography? And it's interesting to me how many, what the percentage would be in there in this. That is, that is a, to be honest with you, it's the spirit of Jezebel trying to capture you and steal your confidence. What happens when a man entertains pornography? After him, he goes, oh, I was reading a book, not reading it, I saw it on the back of somebody's car. Every man's battle. That's a bunch of crap. I don't receive that. that ain't my battle. God gave me victory over that. Over, I mean, I don't know how old I am now. You know, I'm going, dude, no, I ain't going to confess that. You know, whatever's born of God does what? Overcomes the world. So, y'all, what God is calling us is to war. Now, it's interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, Timothy, Paul sells Timothy this stuff. And notice in verse 6. He talks about in the last times, all this crazy stuff. And pointing out these things to the brethren, he's commissioning. You will be good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly being nourished on the words of faith. Words of faith. Speaking to each other. Words of faith. Sound truth. 
Words of faith. That's how we're going to stand. We're going to stand in words of faith. Words of faith. And I like, if you would, turn me your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 as I close. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith. The spirit of apostasy is calling us to, to trying to push us to fall away from faith. How? Y'all, how? Well, gives way unto the spirit of Antichrist, receiving accusations against God in the midst of hard times. Giving way to weariness. Giving way to hardcore situations and starting to grab authority illegally, either, either through the spirit of Jezebel or spirit of, uh, spirit of uh, Absalom. But he says this, my righteous ones, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to start at 35. Do not throw away your confidence, this has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For in a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That's standing against the spirit of, of apostasy, which is trying to attack this world. Now, let me just summarize this. And I know this is not one of these feel-good messages. And it is, I'll be, I confess to you, it was hard for me to do, to speak this word. Because I'd I much rather speak about God's presence. I'd much rather speak about God's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And all the awesome of that. But when God starts to tell me, people need to be prepared. Their hearts have to be prepared so that their spirit will be faithful. So that they're, when they're fully equipped, they're armed with bows, that in the day of battle they will not flee. And so what God is speaking to me is to call us to be aware there is a spirit of Antichrist. And what God was showing me is he's an, it's an umbrella spirit. It is the spirit. But under it there are three spirits that work. Jezebel, corresponding to Ahab. Absalom. These two are in relationship to authority. Why is authority crucial? Two principles in the spiritual realm that are very powerful. Authority and power. Jesus casted demons out according to Luke 4.36 with authority and power. Authority is the legal right. is the right to, to think, speak, or act. Power is the force. And Jesus says, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the what? All the what? Power of what? The enemy. Guess what, y'all? If the spirit of Antichrist can call us to give up our authority, how can we turn off the power of the enemy? You follow me? And if we give way to the spirit of apostasy, which is the, the opposite, the residual effect of the spirit of Antichrist. Because remember, the spirit of Antichrist is calling us and calls it, trying to force us to listen to accusations against God and also entertaining things about weariness. And as a result, we fall away from the faith. 
and we give way to all kinds of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a result of falling away and not walking in what God has called us to. Now, I don't know how to end this thing. Do I? I think the call is for us to repent. Now, I could sit here and just have a service and have every one of us come up and, and, or whatever a bunch of us would. But I'm not so much interested about what we can call up here and make up here. What I am interested in is in our hearts, where we live, that we repent. If you've entertained any of these things, repent, confess your sin, and return that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Now, y'all, we're in a battle. It's worse than, I mean, I say worse it's worse and better than ever. Yeah, there's greater, there's greater things coming at us than ever before. But there is greater opportunity than ever before. I remember when I was in college, and when I was in high school, the biggest thing we were dealing with, the principal would be giving us, punishing us for, was chewing gum or your shirt tail being out. Oh, yeah, and we'd snuck off, right, and be drunk, drunk, drunk. Which one? Do what? <laughs> Drinking, you know. Giving way to wild turkey and stuff like that. But y'all, I don't have to tell you what's happening in the schools today. The things that the that, that next generation are being dealt with. That God has called us to be, to declare it to the generations here and the generations yet to come. Because not only are these oppositions greater, but I'll tell you this. The Spirit of God on this generation, both, when I say next, this generation, I'm talking about both old, Terry and I are older, and the, quote, generation, a bunch of Jesus freaks, you are. A bunch of freaks. And I like it. And that's okay. But I tell you what, there's no middle ground. No compromise in the days to come. We got to fight. Or we just give in to the river of the deceiving spirits. And we'll, at some point in time, you'll look back and you'll go, How in the world did I get here? I cannot tell you how many pastors, pastors' wives, or men and women of God that I've heard say to me, Open doorways of sin. I'm talking about hardcore sin. And they look at me and they go, they really don't go, how did I get here? I entertain actions I never thought I would ever do. And you know what? <laughs> little doors, little cracks open big doors. And God is calling us to be aware today. Four demonic attacks under one, but I'm speaking. Spirit of Antichrist, Jezebel, Slash Ahab, Absalom, and apostasy. So let me pray. And I'm saying we're just going to close. And I just ask you, I will be up front. Tom, I ask you to hang around. Terry, hang around. If anybody wants to pray, John and Marcy will be up here. We'll be glad to pray with you about anything you got confusing about. 
you need some agreement with. But y'all, I must tell you, it's, it's really simple. If any of this stuff is true, I just ask you to entertain God. Ask God to forgive you. And just walk and believe in God. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that this is not a time for us to wring our hands together in desperation. Lord, I thank you that this is a time that where your word says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, this is a, not a time for us to have confidence in our manipulations, religious manipulations, to, to formulate things. Lord, this is a time for us to be purely embraced into the, to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, to walk in the fullness of who you are. Lord, embraced in the awesomeness of the power of your Holy Spirit. Confident in you, God, and you alone, that you're our boast. And Lord, you tell us to just stand firm. Stand firm. Resist the devil. And he must flee. And I speak to the men and women of God in this place, all of us in here, Lord. If we've entertained any of these things that are coming at this us in this world at this time, this season, Lord. Just I ask you, Lord, by the, the power of your Holy Spirit, to just give illumination, Lord, of your truth, the revelation of who you are. And, Lord, so that we, we may lay aside anything that's contrary to the truth, that's entertained the spirit of this world, the God of this world, who's set to declare that he is up against God. to cause us to drop or misuse authority. Lord, to call us to fall away. Lord, we just want to repent before you, Lord, of areas of entertaining doubts and fears within our hearts. Lord, you are God. You promise us you will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you just call every one of us here, Lord, not to a place of condemnation, Lord, to a place of action, of falling in love with you, to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. I just, uh, after Rick was praying, I just, if you would hold on a minute, I just really feel there is a, a, a conviction for us who are in the workplace where we are every day, you know, that's our ministry for us who are working all day long. And the Lord is, I mean, this, this message really kind of, was speaking loud to me with regard to the, these four demonic spirits that are at work where I work. Now, of course, I'm in a department of geological sciences, so you can imagine. But uh, it gives me, I mean, it just, it, it, it gives me fuel, in a sense, a spiritual fuel to know how to fight the good fight there. And, uh, and to know how to pray effectively to see God move. Because I know that God is doing something mighty where I'm working in spite of the fact that it's a, it's a place of a lot of demonic activity, a lot of, it just talk about apostasy. I mean, it is bad, but it it's gives us an opportunity. So we, we can look at this and go, oh my goodness, Lord. I mean, there, there's these weights we have to face and all this. And we kind of oftentimes uh, direct that inward to our either our family or we direct it inward to the body of Christ. And I'm asking us as men and women who are out in the working environment, to apply it and use this as an opportunity to, to really focus your prayer and understanding to see what's going on in the spirit where you're working. Because God, that's where God wants to move. God wants to move in those people. They're, they need Jesus. We already know Jesus. 
yeah, God wants us, our hearts right, but we, are, we have an opportunity by being able to pray effectively for our, for our colleagues where we work, a great opportunity. And, uh, and God will open up that door. God's going to open up that avenue. But I just really felt convicted that that is our ministry out there. Where we are working, let's do it. Let's take it for the kingdom.